All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justice Justices of the Supreme Court of North Carolina. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina. All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello, thanks for tuning in to All Things Judicial, the podcast of the North Carolina Administrative Office of the Courts. This is Joseph Kaiser hosting today. I served as a legislative liaison for the courts this legislative session, along with Amy Off. I'm also an assistant legal counsel here at AOC. We have an informative show today covering uh, historic budget commitments by the state legislature in the bipartisan spending plan that was passed in November. Our guests today are Chuck Spajos from the Conference of District Attorneys uh, to discuss the budget for our prosecutors and AOC Deputy Director Ryan Boyce to talk e-courts technology and other investments. So there's a lot to unpack from this budget that benefits the judicial branch, um, and this is a great place to start today. As a primer, this historic budget makes the largest ever investment in the North Carolina judicial branch and its employees. It's truly transformative, um, along with salary increases, significant bonuses, um, essential new positions throughout the branch. Um, This budget also saves hundreds of existing jobs in the North Carolina court system. It fully funds the implementation of e-courts, a technological transformation of our state's judiciary, Um, and it funds critical wireless expansion, laptops, and video conferencing across our branch that are desperately needed. Um, It appropriates funding for temporary and overtime staffing and pay that's uh, really helping us clear the COVID-19 backlog in our state, Uh, provides dramatic funding to our commissions for for grants, uh, for recovery courts, um, for public defenders districts, and indigent defense services. Uh, we are truly grateful for the investments of the General Assembly and, and want to get into some of those matters today. So we'll start um, with Chuck Spahos. Chuck, how are you today? Thanks for joining us. Uh, good. Thank you, Joseph. Glad to be here. Great. Uh, Chuck uh, works alongside us at the General Assembly as a liaison for the Conference of District Attorneys and is also the Chief Financial Crimes Prosecutor for the Conference of District Attorneys. Um, prior to this role, he's worked in other states, um, has been a Solicitor General in, in Georgia, and is also a certified police officer. Uh, Chuck is a vital partner for AOC, and we're looking forward to talking to him today. So, Chuck, let's just start at the budget recommendations. You know, each session starts with us listing our priorities and requests. What were the top priorities for your conference this session? Well, the DA's definitely had a a shift in priorities um, after the submittal of our initial budget request last year. Um, We we learned that um, 150 positions that are in the district attorney's offices that provide services to crime victims, um, that our federal funding was not going to be renewed and that it would expire uh, in October of this year. So needless to say, those positions became our number one priority. These positions are the ones in the field that are directly impacting and contacting the victims of crime. And um, so that was a quick shuffle to change priorities. And uh, so that has been our number one priority through this entire session. Yeah, I think one of the great things about what the state was able to do for those positions where the federal funding went away, 
Um, first of all, was it was great coordination between the legislative, executive, and judicial branch because the legislative branch um, provided funding retroactively back to the courts who temporarily funded those positions after they expired with the assistance and flexibility of the Office of State Budget and Management. So it's really kind of a three-tiered effort there. But more importantly, the state saved those jobs with recurring funding. Can you talk about the importance of those being recurring money y'all can count on every year? Yeah, I certainly can. Um, one of the one of the challenges we've always had to those positions is the fact that every two years we have to ask for renewed funding from the federal grant. Um, that obviously creates a, an amount of uncertainty for those uh, those people in those positions and for the offices that depend on them so much. So one of the once we we had a commitment for the positions. The conversation obviously turned to whether it would be recurring or non-recurring money, and I certainly want to thank our partners at the Administrative Office of the Courts for helping us with that and helping the legislature understand the importance of that, and the quite frankly, the legislative leadership for saying we we acknowledge the importance of making this a priority and making sure those positions became permanently funded and are now going to be a permanent part of the district attorney's offices. Absolutely. I want to note that it wasn't just district attorney's offices that were going to lose positions from VOCA. It was also um, clerks, guardian ad litems um, throughout the branch. That was a critical part of the session. And the branch is just very grateful to all the leaders as well as uh, members across the General Assembly for putting recurring funding for those positions. It really provides a lot of certainty um, and helps out um, statewide. I think to shift to the new positions that were provided for your conference um, in the General Assembly budget, um, can you speak to why we had a increased need for positions? I know we did across the branch due to rapid growth, um, prior conference reports not coming through, um, the case backlog and sort of, you know, evolving needs as we transition our technology. Certainly as the state grows, obviously the, uh, the workload grows and, you know, we do have in place a workload formula that looks at that, uh, that growth each year and makes some recommendations about what the offices need to um, continue to meet the needs. Um, this year we saw uh, a need for additional assistant district attorneys. We had um, six of our offices in the state that do not have a state paid investigator. That has been a long-term recommendation to round that out. And we also had some previously funded a, a assistant district attorney positions that were not funded at the normal level of funding. So this year, the, the legislature did acknowledge the, the need for those additional uh, positions and the funding to fulfill the previously uh, provided positions and made that a priority. Yeah, one of the things I hear the most um, that's important to clear criminal case backlog is to have experienced attorneys, experienced prosecutors and assistant district attorneys to handle the major cases. And so uh, can you talk about how these new positions will allow them to move forward with those cases that really um, get in the way the most because they require your very best folks of which there are only so many positions. Certainly, um, serious cases and complicated cases don't get resolved without work and without, um, the real ability to try those cases. While oftentimes those cases get resolved in, in pleas, those pleas don't take place unless there is the actual ability to try those cases. And, those pleas don't take, place, don't take place until we know and the defendants know we're going to try those cases. So having 
sufficient, experienced prosecutors that can have access to the court time to try those cases is what gets those serious cases disposed of. You know, we had a really long legislative session, but I think everyone down there agrees the budget was worth the wait. Um, it being your first session there, but having experience in other legislatures, I wonder if you can just speak to kind of some of the differences, similarities, and surprises for you um, this session in your first uh, representing the North Carolina Conference of DAs. Certainly. Um, I worked in a similar role for close to 14 years, well, for 14 sessions in Georgia. And um, certainly after spending a, my first year in North Carolina in this role, I have a great appreciation for the uh, constitutional limit in Georgia that they can only be there for 40 days. Um, needless to say, we were here longer than uh, that this year. But uh, I, I do agree with you that it was worth the wait. The uh, The district attorneys are uh, – or excited about the new positions and the adequately funding. Um, we do believe it was worth the, the effort and the wait and, and appreciate the all of the work that went into getting us here. So uh, while it's different and it takes a little longer here, um, I would say the, the product has uh, certainly been worth the wait this year. Yes, sir, and you've been waiting all year. A lot of people have been waiting even longer for this budget to come through, and we're just excited and appreciative of – uh, everyone across state government helping deliver these funds to the courts. And thanks, Chuck. We're going to come back to you um, a little bit later in this. I uh, wanted to turn now to Ryan Boyce, the deputy director of the administrative office of the courts, who also oversees our legislative efforts, along with um, Judge Andrew Heath, our director. Uh, Ryan's an attorney. He's worked uh, in posts across state government and education, transportation, and public safety, and he used to have my job. So I think he can speak to um, the buildup towards this exceptional budget. So on that note, Ryan, you've you've advocated for court funding and policy in the past. Um, what does this year's budget mean for the courts? Well, Joseph, I think we've you know been using words like historic and transformative, and that's that's not bluster. I mean, this budget truly is transformative for the court system. It's the largest budget we've ever had. It invests in some once in a generation initiatives, um, e courts being being the main one. But most importantly, it really invests in our personnel and our, our people here in the judicial branch. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, the judicial branch is about 90% personnel, uh, everywhere from local courthouse staff and, and clerk's offices, guardian ad litem statewide. Uh, Chuck spoke about the DAs, uh, every, everybody up to uh, your appellate Supreme Court justices. Uh, it provides uh, reoccurring uh, salary increases in both years on par with other state employees and also bonuses of uh, $1,000 to $1,500 uh, based on position type. And like you and Chuck discussed earlier, it, it saves some really critical uh, victims of Crime Act-funded uh, positions. Those, those are folks who, you know, aren't, aren't just answering phones or in a back office. I mean, they're victim-facing and, and they're, you know, boots on the ground. So extraordinarily important to keep those positions. Absolutely. One of our biggest pushes this session was to educate lawmakers and legislative staff about the e-courts initiative, um, really trying to improve their understanding of this transformative um, technology initiative that's going on. Um, and then we saw that result where uh, we received full funding for e-courts, over $60 million in, in um, video conferencing technology and the, and the need to actually transition to a cloud-based platform from our current paper system. Um, how do you see that local impact for e-courts, how they'll see lawmakers will see it improves their constituents' lives and judicial officials' lives, helping them make this investment right now? So like I, I tell people when I talk about e-courts, it's so much more than e-filing. I mean, the ability to just 
move a file from one place to another is, is nothing new. We've had that for, for decades now. Uh, the beauty of eCourts is it's really a comprehensive case management system. So instead of having these standalone systems for you know criminal records, civil records, financial systems, it really incorporates those all into one system. So from a deputy clerk perspective, they could uh, pull everything from one system while having to log out, um, not having to go through paper files. Uh, it moves everything into the cloud, like you said, which helps with not only storage, but security and disaster recovery. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, something we never thought we'd see. People have had to work from all sorts of different locations. So having everything in the cloud versus just having a paper file is a big advantage. Uh, we're also a state that sees, you know, hurricanes just about every year. Uh, luckily this year we had a, a mild hurricane season, but we've seen it before with Florence and Matthew. Recently we also have ice storms in the West. So having files not in a basement floor that are subject to flooding or, you know, in a, uh, in a roof where snow can leak into is, is certainly an advantage. Uh, for the public perspective, just not having to go down to a courthouse is huge. I mean, how many people besides us in this room really enjoy going to a courthouse? Um, you know, if you're a small business owner and you've got to file a, a small claims action or you're a landlord, uh, you're no longer having to go down to file and wait in line. You can do that online once eCourts goes live. Uh, if you're a victim of domestic violence, you know, you probably don't want to go to a courthouse where you may be seeing your abuser. You can file uh, from home or another safe place like a victim advocate. And so moving everything digital um, will really relieve the burden of a lot of people and just make the whole process more efficient. Absolutely. I think those are great points, and it's a very forward-looking investment because it it's going to be several years of implementation, but the um, protection against disasters um, and, and so many other access points is just critical that they've made it now and the improvements um, will be here sooner than we think. I want to touch next on the capital construction funding for courthouses. That's something that's been a long time coming um, for the state budget. Um, they've been proposed in various forms by the General Assembly, and now they've been delivered roughly $140 million across the state for new construction, repairs, and renovations. Now, that money goes to counties directly, but it really benefits AOC's build-out of technology and all of our employees and the public they serve. So I want to ask you, Ryan, um, how do you envision counties investing those capital funds um, strategically in a way that prepares for the digital transition? I mean, you look at that $140 million and that number just jumps right off the page. Um, even, even spread across multiple counties in a state as large as ours. Uh, the relationship with court facilities is interesting because, like you mentioned, they're, they're run by the counties. But, of course, it's judicial branch folks. It's our folks who are in there working every day. So if there's, you know, a hazard issue or, or something like that, it's, it's something we've got to address but this will really allow counties across the state to invest. I think there's two new courthouses through this appropriation, and a slew of other courthouses are getting money for everything from HVAC upgrades to building additional space. You know, you, you think about a courthouse and your idea is, oh, well, everyone is, is located in that one spot. You know, everybody has their own floor. And Chuck Smirkin over here, because he can tell you that's not the case, especially in, in some of these middle-sized counties, you may have, you know, a couple people in the courthouse, you may have an annex across the street. Um, I know there's at least one county where the, the DAs are in an old home somewhat near the courthouse square, so people are kind of scattered all over. So 
hopefully this will not only, you know, help with some of the hazards and, and workspace issues, but bring everybody together under one roof and a, and a, a workable environment they can be proud of. Absolutely. We know that will be beneficial and the sooner they can get started, the better. Um, like we talked with Chuck about, there's significant new positions um, in here for the judicial branch, not just for district attorneys, but um, for example, magistrates and guardian ad litems. These are other areas um, along with clerks that are really crucial to add those positions and make an immediate impact on clearing case backlog. Folks who have been waiting for justice quite a long time, especially in family court, especially in superior court. How do you see those additional positions um, helping us make that immediate impact to, to churn through these cases that have been waiting too long? Well, I'll start with Guardian Ad Litem, which is a program I'm, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to help oversee along with our administrator, Lori Dollar. For those of you not familiar with the program, Guardian Ad Litems provide advocates for, for children in court. Uh, most of it's run by, by volunteers who serve as these advocates, which is uh, an amazing way to give back. I know we did a podcast on that several months ago. But just providing those new positions uh, will really help move, move cases through the system. If a child doesn't have an advocate, you know, they can't move forward. Uh, and as we've seen with COVID, a lot of things have started to back up. So creating those new positions will move those cases forward, which is, is huge in the life of a child. If you're a child without permanent housing or you're in a, you know abusive situation, every day really matters to you. Absolutely. I know that's, that's the case for so many different um, position areas where the General Assembly generously met um, the requests that are based on a workload formula that you'll hear us talk a lot about that's a, a metric-driven uh, way for us to, to allocate resources efficiently. I want to kind of have our last two questions that I, I'll ask kind of both of you. I'll start with Ryan. Um, since this budget has passed, um, in my first year as a liaison here, I've been joking that the work starts once, it, once it's passed. And I I have been really surprised by the number of detailed and specific questions and uncertainties and, um, you know, sort of frenzied meetings to, to work out particularly compensation increases, um, to work out particularly allocation of resources. Um, can you take us behind that machinery? I know you're in meetings today where people are desperate for answers of, does this mean I get X, Y, or Z? Um, why does that take a couple weeks? Well, I'll do my best to try to pull the curtain back, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you in that end. So, the signing of the budget when I was a liaison, that was kind of the end of the road for me. You know, I could kind of tout our, our end of session successes and, and move on. Uh, but I've learned in this new role that that's really just the beginning. After the budget's signed, there's a certification process that the state budget office leads with every agency, uh, really lining up all the accounting and budget codes. And then after that, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. Um, a lot of these new positions, they told us where they were going to go, they being the General Assembly, and some they didn't. So it's, it's using workloads and, and other uh, empirical analysis to figure out where statewide we're going to put some of these positions. Uh, another challenge we've had is this budget came almost halfway through the fiscal year. Uh, usually, you know, the, the budget year starts July 1st, but here we get it, you know, around Thanksgiving. And so trying to uh, make decisions with, with some money that may end at the end of the fiscal year, being able to make purchases and fund programs, but doing that in a responsible way of, you know, using state resources. So trying to get out bids, trying to line up procurement, um, making sure we spend this money swiftly and effectively, but also following best practices and, and really making sure there's, there's no waste or abuse with any of it. Absolutely agreed. And, you know, I think that 
Chuck, getting this comprehensive budget in place was a long time coming and a tremendous bipartisan accomplishment. But I also think it helps lay a strategy um, that state government leaders have agreed to now that can help the courts long term, right? They've put aside savings, they've avoided deficits, and they're spending strategically on what we're discussing here. These are critical government core function services. I want to get your thoughts on how this budget means a strong future as well for your conference in the courts. Well, I think one of the things that we see coming out of this uh, this legislative year was um, the use of the workload formulas uh, as a good example, so that we see some uh, recognition that um, that is the tool by which we'll you know, fund growth going forward as, as uh, the DA's needs are met. Um, it, it, it tells us how to plan ahead and to watch the numbers and uh, in, our, in our future request. Um, and again, to, to echo what was said, we, you know, we're thankful for the, the items and the personnel that are here in this budget document and, and are patiently awaiting the, the behind the scenes work that has to be done to, uh, to implement this. So, um, we, we're, I again, was in a meeting today where we're just emphasizing, be patient. We know, we know what we got. We just need a minute to get it out there. Yeah, that's right, Ryan. You know, one of the extraordinary things about the delays this year was everyone said it's one of the issues was there was too much funding available for the North Carolina general assembly and they wanted to make sure they, they spent it wisely. Um, Given the point you made about it was passed kind of midway through the fiscal year, how do you see it shaping up into the short session um, to deal with that complication and the fact that they still seem to be on the right track to be able to, to keep investing in core services? Well, I think the General Assembly had an interesting challenge this year with, with the number of federal dollars they had with um, some American Recovery Act funding and I think maybe even some leftover CARES Act funding was they did have a lot of that one-time money, which they usually don't have and had to figure out where to put that. I think we're on the right track with budget certification. I mean, it's it's a process that should be done by the end of this year. Um, I think we have just about everything ready to go. Uh, once that's done, and I, you know, moving to the short session, it's it's weird. Usually this is about the time we start planning for short session, but I feel like we just got done with the long session. So I think Joseph, you and I and, and Amy will loop up and We'll get ready to do this all over again next spring. Yeah, and that I think everyone is excited to get to the short session because it could be a true adjustment period because we have a true comprehensive base plan moving forward. Really want to thank our guests today, um, Ryan Boyce, um, Deputy Director of the Administrative Office of the Courts, and uh, Chuck Spahos, the Conference of District Attorneys uh, Liaison and Chief Financial Crimes Prosecutor. Um, I just want to echo what they've said that the work of the General Assembly and governor this year, um, we can't say enough about the uh, collaboration with our branch um, and what it's meant to see a truly transformational initiative like eCourts, what it means to see essential new positions, what it means to see compensation increases, but also to know that our state has not exhausted their funds and resources on this tremendous budget. Um, but are still in good shape going forward. The economy won't grow forever. Uh, disasters will come. There will be downturns. And I think um, the state is prepared and nowhere is that more important to have that certainty um, than agencies and administrations like the courts that really count on that state funding year after year um, and don't want to see a scenario where any kind of economic recession or change um, threatens this growth or, or causes us to revert. 
So just want to thank the General Assembly members and, and everyone across the courts as well. Um, our, our Chief Justice, our Director, um, these folks here and, and all the partner groups that work so hard every day within the branch um, to advocate um, our commissions staff that really speak to um, the work that they do and the needs of our citizens uh, to access justice. You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the North Carolina Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential in spreading the word about the positive work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.